Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of LL Research on the web at llresearch.org. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources claimed to hail from an organization they call the Confederation of Planets in service to the Infinite Creator. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce our first guest on this podcast who will help us in providing this analysis, Joseph D'Artes. Joseph is a PhD student in philosophy who has done a great deal of study of the archetypal system described by those of Ra. Much of his work has focused on educating seekers unfamiliar with the concept of the archetypes, on how to approach working with this system to understand the nature of consciousness and evolution. In other words, this is a great get from Brian and me. Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. How are we doing, Ryan? I'm A-OK. I'm really looking forward to this because we've been talking about diving into the archetypes or archetypes. Have we, did we just discussed this? Archetypes? Archetypes? Whatever. Okay. Uh, Arch- we'll go with archetypes. <laughs> we'll go with archetypes. But we've been talking about diving into the archetypes for a while. And I feel like I'm coming in from left field, not even with a clue of really what these are. The only archetype I think I think I have any familiarity with is the hero's journey. If that's even considered an archetype. I'm not even sure if that's what you call an archetype. But that's how I kind of relate to this the tarot as uh, you know as Ra gets into in the sessions and I don't know how else to kind of latch on to this because it's such a new idea for me so personally I've been a little excited did we get to do this and now with uh, with Joseph here I feel like we got a little extra ammunition you know a little intellectual ammo uh, to help me sort through this this swamp in my head of what what these archetypes mean so I'm doing well Jeremy how are you? Uh, I have been having a fantastic time uh, with my friend Joseph and my friends Steve and Jade. We are at a rented house in Colorado Springs, and we are embarked on our first channeling intensive for our new channeling group. So this is a very, very exciting time. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but I'm happy if you have any questions, you know, I'm sure Joseph and I would be happy to answer it. Joseph, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, Yeah, I'm just I guess I just uh, mirror back to you what you said. Um, Excited to finally start learning to channel. Um, Glad to talk about the archetypes. Anytime somebody is curious, uh, I'm I'm always enthusiastic about that kind of conversation and, and I'm happy to meet you wherever you are. So, um, <clears throat> um, I'm going to let you sort both of you guide conversation because I don't want to, to just sort of, uh, jump in too deep and have people lost. I don't, I'm not even sure about your listenership. So I, I'd like to be, 
Neither of yeah, contributions. We don't know. We like don't that. know either, Joseph. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. You might you might try to go deep, and I might try to pull you out from the water. You're like, whoa, dude. <laughs> I need help here. Buy so the um, <laughs> we, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, maybe maybe today isn't the, to the day to talk about it. But I'm very interested in hearing about your experience with your group uh, in Colorado this weekend. I know that I'm about to, in the in my other production, Living Love and Light, I'm about to go through and record the uh, the Brown Notebook and Man Consciousness and Understanding. Just again, to try to get some of the history of where LNL research came from. And I, if I remember correctly, LNL itself kind of started when Don was given the brown notebook and in there was kind of instructions as far as how you start it, your own channeling group, your own meditation and channeling group. So I think it's utterly fascinating and exciting that you guys are doing just that, whether or not it's out of the brown notebook or not kind of doesn't matter. But the fact that you guys are actually taking some action and, um, you know, putting that together, I think is fantastic and very interesting and would be great conversation all on its own. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I have not read the Brown Notebook. Um, so maybe that's sort of a, you know, a, a, a black mark on, on, on I haven't either. But, I haven't either, Joseph. I just, I just hear it brought up every now and then in, in references from L&L. And I'm like, ah, I'll read it. That, you know. That's the stuff from Hal Price, right? That sounds, Detroit Walt Rogers is typically the oh. name that's thrown on. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. Uh, Hal Price is the Detroit group who okay. visited Louisville and showed Don and his students the technique. Okay. Right. So they had been trying to channel. We had just talked about this the other day. Um, Don and his engineering students had been attempting to channel and they were not getting very far. They were doing a lot of tongue wagging and clicking and weird noises. You know, are you picking this up? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then Hal comes from his Detroit group to visit because he had recently moved to Louisville uh, for work. And uh, he shows him how to do it. He gets right in there and, and channels Hatan, I believe. And everybody kind of got the got mm. the gist of it. And mm. it's funny because that's kind of how I feel like it's worked with you and Jade. Is, uh, you know, Steve and I have experience with channeling. Steve was a senior channel for LL Research. Uh, but you guys just picked it right up. And it's really, really fascinating to see the progress go so quickly. Yeah, and, and actually, I should speak to the to the history a little bit more. Um, so, Don and his group was was taught by this other guy, uh, Hal. <clears throat> and in Don's group, uh, there was of course Carla, who who had been um, in the vicinity of of Don's and and part of Don's meditation group for for maybe a decade before she even started channeling. Mm. Um, she was for quite some time the the only woman. And what happened was all the, the channels who are all the people who had been channeling just sort of disappeared and it was just Carla left. And so that's when she started to channel. And what's especially interesting about that is that in the process of becoming eventually Carla's, uh, sorry, LNL Research's um, primary channel, she developed the art of channeling further herself. And so in developing the art further, she, um, she actually added protocols, including what she called tuning and challenging the contact. And in so doing, she taught her students the same. Steve Tyman, who's our teacher, was one of her students. 
and he himself uh, has developed the uh, channeling protocols in his own way. So it's kind of a, um, a history of uh, development of an art. Is Are these protocols something like, say in baseball, every hitter kind of has their own swing that they've practiced, they know how their body works, or and this might be a, a false, you know, uh, I might be giving you false choices here, so let me know. But or is it something like, say, in um, in like a ritualistic sense, where the more you do like this specific action with the specific words and movements, that ritual gains more power in and of itself as a ritual. You know, is it are these protocols more personalized, or do they become more, I guess, ceremonial and ri- ceremonial and ritual? Or am I even coming close to how to, how I'm trying to ask this question? Do you want to take this one, Jeremy? If, if you'd like. Um, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, and listeners have some exposure to this concept from our previous chats. Hmm. Um, basically, the way it works is that what a teacher does is they give you a framework for approaching what it would mean to do a thing called chanting. <clears throat> and that means uh, kind of giving you a template in which you fill in your subjective blanks, right? You decide what it means for you to achieve the level of sincerity and single-minded focus that would allow you to make and validate the security of a contact. Because you know the core thing we want to do is not channel anybody negative, anybody who would detune us. So there is a great deal of give and take between a teacher and a student on this matter because it's very personal. Mm. At the same time, there is a overall framework. Uh, I don't really want to get into that framework, uh, but uh, and I will also say that uh, one of the things I did to prepare for this weekend because we're in some rando house is uh, uh, the banishing ritual of the lesser pentagram in order to spiritually and psychically clear the space and make sure that it is a per- it's just it's not positive or negative it's just clear it's just mm-hmm. neutral mm-hmm. and so uh, that's one ritual aspect um, and of course you know you can a lot of people incorporate things like the cabalistic cross you know uh, mm-hmm. and 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 other things that are meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very personal thing, and one can think that to talk about this very personal ceremony that you go through in your mind as you're tuning kind of did, kind of uh, 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 makes it profane, right? Like sure. you need to keep it a little bit personal and just you know sure. the protocol. But the but the basics are 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 transmitted by the teacher so that you have something to work with because otherwise okay. you're. You're floating in, in midair. Am I getting it? Yeah. So my answer to the question that you posed, Ryan, was both. Yeah, um, it's yeah. both personal and ritual. Okay. And in, in the ritual, there are some some um, specific kinds of ritual elements that need to be included, but how they look uh, is up to the channeler, um, just because it's something that you have to do for yourself, and it has to be meaningful and uh, evocative for you. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Well... Joseph, I hope I get to talk to you again. But Jeremy, I know I'm going to talk to you again <laughs> soon. Too much. And, I'm, yeah, and I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably keep picking your brain because kind of my basic question is, is this, you know, I think Carla maybe had to figure or she did figure a lot of this stuff out 
via her own personal experience and her own study and her just consistent reps of being a channel. And so yeah. I wonder if this is a recipe that she just kind of figured out that it's a recipe she teaches others or if it's just something a person really has to mess through, you know, on an individual basis. But Joseph, it sounds like it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of both. Maybe the recipe is there, but each cook is just a little bit different. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, definitely there's a recipe, um, but there's, it's just, it's clear when you see what the recipe is, where the personalization uh, happens. And, and I never felt, um, I never felt like I was out in, uh, or thrown to the wolves or anything like that. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, maybe we should, uh, we should schedule one of these again, Joseph, get, get you on a three-way call and do a, do one of these again, because I don't even know, I doubt we're going to get very far in the archetypes with our, within our typical 90 minute limit, because I've got a two-year-old, you know, six feet behind me in another wall, who's, who's going to be, his nap time is going to be up. So, and, you and know. it's okay to go way shorter than 90 minutes. Oh, okay. If you'd like. Well, you let, I mean, you guys. You let me know. I I just well, have we're doing another session at five uh, Mountain okay. Time. So oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Okay. Well, uh, going back to the archetypes, boy, where do we even start? Because again, me, me coming in fresh to this, my only notion of what an archetype is, is Harry Potter going from the kid in the closet to basically saving all of wizarding world, you know, and that process that he went through and kind of how that recipe follows, say, Luke Skywalker. And that recipe follows, I don't know, entering every other major, you know, major hero in any kind of saga. That is my only idea as far as what a an archetype is. The hero's journey, as I understand it's called. So I don't know where to start when you hear... Maybe I'll just... Maybe I'll just work with that. Go. Yeah, please. Um, so there's no doubt that the hero's journey is the most familiar um, archetypal concept. Or it's definitely not just one concept, but complex of concepts. Um, and if you've read Rai, you'll notice that there's no obvious place where the hero's journey fits in. Um and, and the reason, I think the reason that is, is, there, well, there's a couple of reasons. The first is that the hero's journey isn't just one archetype. It's a, um, a dynamic interplay between a number of different archetypes. Okay. So the way I think about archetypes, and, and I, there's confirmation from, from Ra on this, um, and, and probably also throughout the, the Confederation channelings, but the way I think of an archetype is as a persona. Matter of fact, Ra even uses that word. So when I think about a persona, what I think about is not some, something that's not dissimilar from a normal human personality. The primary difference is that the persona itself doesn't change or, or grow or, or shift. It's, it always has this, this same character, almost like um, a trope that you'd expect to see in, uh, in a film or a story. Okay. And so you've got this tropey character uh, who, who sort of wears the same thing every time and makes the same kind of jokes and always makes the same kind of mistakes and, and so on. So an archetype as a persona is kind of like that. Um, it, it's consistent. Huh. Okay. And so like when I say that, you can see in the hero's journey uh, movement from 
from trope to trope. Because, I mean, the basic trope of the, of the hero is that the hero undergoes this um, transformative adventure. Yes. So the hero itself, this, this archetype, it actually undergoes change. Uh, in my opinion, probably the closest um, uh, correlate of the hero within the tarot would be, and, and I'm not the first one to say this, um, would be the fool archetype. Um, because the fool is, is the one within the tarot that undergoes change. And all the other archetypes are more or less um, stable in their, um, in their uh, array of concerns and strengths and weaknesses, uh, tendencies to action, um, tendencies to inaction. You'll, you'll find consistency in the other archetypes, but the, the purpose of the fool is to, to grow and develop, to enter in and become one archetype, to to become some other archetype where necessary, to just change. That's the fool's purpose. Okay. So starting again from my, just from my perspective of understanding the hero's, the hero's path, or again, Luke Skywalker being that pissed off kid stuck on Tatooine in a moisture farm, <laughs> going to fight the force. He starts off as, as this kid who's relatively clueless about, about the world, you know, but that we could say that that set of attitudes perceptions and actions in itself constitutes maybe not a specific archetype in the way that we're going to discuss the archetypes that raw that are in the raw that's in the raw contact the raw material but it's a persona do i have that correct that beginning stage of that personality is essentially a persona and then luke skywalker moving through the process to becoming the hero he becomes that's kind of like point b and that has a different persona, has a different set of perceptions, actions, attitudes, etc. Right. I think you got the basic idea. Okay. I'll um, take that. But it, it's also worth mentioning that the people that, that Luke Skywalker comes across on his journey, they are also represented by archetypes. So there's, there's okay. interaction between whatever archetype Luke Skywalker becomes and whatever archetype he's presented with in his his journey Ooh, ooh, okay yeah it's this like is the great. story of star wars almost acts as a cycle it's a set of archetypes that are have interrelationships to them yeah i think that's probably true of of each instance of the the hero's journey that there's there's a cycle of archetypes that are being moved through now okay. i should mention that um the archetypes, it just, how should I say this? Archetypes in general uh, come in many systems. Um, Ra's system is not the only system of archetype. Um, if you were to do a Google search, you'd find multiple systems of archetypes, some of them with up to 200. Okay. So um, the idea that we're just talking about one system when we talk about archetypes uh, is usually not the case. Um, so, so keep in mind that the word itself refers to a number of different systems. Okay. And the relationship between the systems is not always obvious. Um, in each instance, the systems of archetype are meant to characterize uh, the human experience as a um, sort of a, a consistent process where, where the same sorts of things keep happening. And the reason these same sorts of things keep happening is because these are the kinds of things that we find meaningful in our lives. These are the things that that uh, that stick with us or that um, induce us to grow, that catalyze us. Mm -hmm. So these kinds of things catalyze us because they are archetypal. 
Now, what you mean by archetypal depends in some way on the, the level at which you're, you're looking at it. So a good analogy might be, um, are you looking at, say, some object? I don't know. It's a table before me. And philosophers tend to use tables as examples. I'm sorry about that. But like, <laughs> no if, you're considering, if you're considering the table, you can consider the table at the level of the individual parts, the, the legs and the slab that, that is held up by the legs. You can also consider, consider the table at the level of the, um, the, the parts of the parts. So there will be... Um, um, uh, I can't find the word. Um, nails and not nails, but like things that hold it together. Fasteners, whatever. Sure, sure. <laughs> You're just going down a level of looking That's not right. at as its function, but what it's made of, and then like the subparts of that. So there's That's right. layers. Okay. So you can think of the different systems of archetype as um, representing the human experience at different levels of complexity, and the level of complexity that. You find most interesting will depend on your purpose. Um, so we can imagine. So the, the level of complexity of raw system of archetypes, the tarot, is is pretty low. Um, but there's probably a level of complexity even beneath that. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. I have my own ideas. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe the the three the first three distortions would be the level of complexity beneath that. I'm not exactly certain, but I can say that a level of complexity. Uh, above, so that is to say, um, so this would be, uh, how can I say this? I'll just say above. The level of complexity above the, the 22 archetypes of the tarot is more like what you see commonly in, say, Jungian analysis or these various systems of 200 archetypes and so on. Um, so these mm -hmm. would be like more culturally um, distinguished archetypes as opposed to archetypes that are... Um, sort of more universal to the entire planetary experience, which is what Rust system of 22 is supposed to be. So I think of those, the system as 22 is sort of the deep, deeper level, like maybe the molecular level, since Ra uses the, the uh, analogy of molecules. Okay. So it's essentially, it's a system that you can build upon. Maybe it's just the base level. Do I understand that correctly? It's, it's, yeah. I like the way that you put it. It apply. Oh boy! Now I'm getting all mixed up in my head after you just explained this. This is the problem Sorry. with me, Joseph. That's actually that sounds like my problem as the <laughs> as the one explaining. No, it's because I I can't sort. It's like oh, here's an idea that I latch onto, and then here's another one. Okay, cool. And then I try to bridge that gap, and I get a little <laughs> a little short circuit as I'm trying to as I'm trying to tie it together. But can you reiterate the way that the the tarot? And the archetypes outlined in the tarot, how does that, where does that stand on our analysis of a table? Is it the function, what a table does? Is it the deeper level? Is it the fasteners and how it's all glued together? Kind of where, you know, where does that, where does it sit? The analogy actually kind of breaks down when you put it that way. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, well, scratch so it. So maybe I'll use a different analogy. Don't scratch it. I'll just use a different analogy. I'll use one of Ra's analogies. Okay. So, so Ra says to think of the, the mind as a tree. All right. So, so what does that mean to think of the mind as a tree? You have the branches and the leaves, and that's what you can see. Yeah. Um, most obviously the leaves. So, so then the leaves would, would represent um, the thoughts that you're most aware of, the, the things that happen in mind that are just unmistakable. They're always like... Um, just present before the mind when they happen. 
And then the branches would be um, the things that, that connect these unmistakable and very disparate uh, features of mind, the things mm-hmm. that you know, various emotions, thoughts, you know, whatever, whatever is in mind, right? But the branches would connect to those things. So if you, if you would say, if you were attending to some leaves and you ask yourself, well, what do these things have, in, have to do with each other? Well, you might sort of work down the branches and then the branches would come together um, and, and you'd, you'd form connections and, and more connections and more connections until you have this sort of monolithic hole at the trunk, uh, which you might think of as a, um, I don't know, the, the, whatever the unifying nature of mind is, philosophers have described this in various ways. Kant has a crazy word for it or a crazy term for it. The uh, synthetic unity of apperception. <laughs> the synthetic unity of what? Apperception. That's right. <laughs> Apper- anyway, don't worry about that. That's Kant. We're not talking about Kant. That's, but the point is okay. that, that there's something uh, that unifies the mind into a single whole. And you can think of that uh, on this analogy as the trunk. Um, but there's something beneath the trunk, and that, of course, b- below the ground would be the unconscious mind. So above the ground, you have the conscious, and below the ground, you have the unconscious. I feel like this is a can of worms or a Pandora's box or something amazing that you can apply well, to, to anything. I like the way you put it. You look at these leaves. Boy, what do these have in common? I don't know. Maybe you can go a, a level deeper, a level, you know, a level past that. You can see you've got branches that are connecting it, and then... Ask again, well, what do these have in common? You can keep you can keep diving in. It kind of reminds me, Jeremy, of the five whys that we constantly discuss. Exactly. Kind of getting down to the roots. Getting of down things. to the and, roots. Yeah. And and one of the ways that Ra describes what what is the unifying nature of mind that Joseph, I believe, is pointing at is Ra's concept of the archetypal mind. And mm. that is the uh, thing, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> uh-oh, oh. getting a look. Well, here's a Ron. grin jo- for everyone. Joseph's got a grin <laughs> in response to Jeremy's comment. Well, I, I, I hate to make things difficult for you, but um, think about the difference between the roots and the trunk. The roots are not unified. There's many roots, just like there's many branches. It's the trunk that, that brings everything together okay. into a hole right in the middle okay. between the roots and the branches. And actually, Ra says that the archetypes are, in fact, the roots of mind. So in that sense, um, if, if we're saying that the archetypal mind just is the archetypes, well, that, that might not be what unifies any individual mind, even if it's the, the thing on which the whole mind rests and draws its nourishment from. Uh, Joseph, this visualization that you're providing is fantastic. What's Ra's visualization? I'm just... Well, your explanation of Ra's visualization is fantastic. <laughs> it's really... Well, first of all, thank you, because this is this is hitting hard, and I love it when, I, when something resonates and I get that little light bulb. So this is exciting for me. But, okay, you just said the roots of mind. And if we're thinking of a tree, if we think of that mind as that trunk, where it's, if I'm getting this correct... You know, you can smile at me if I'm getting this wrong too, (laughs) but we got our trunk. I will call it the trunk of mind. And then, yeah, you've got our branches and leaves up top and then you go below and you've got that same dispersion of roots. And Mm -hmm. I love that visualization. And am I going in the right path? And maybe you already brought this up, which is why I'm going in this direction. But are those different branches, the different archetypes that are described? That's how I think of it. Um, 
Now, again, there's multiple archetypal systems, and Rod talks about this too. Um, the one they focus on is, is the planetary system that, that was invented by our logos, the local sun. Okay. Um, but more surface to that, and this is what I was describing earlier, would be the, the more cultural systems of... And maybe we, should, maybe we can call them archetypes. You can call them tropes. You can call them um, even stereotypes. Um, but there are these there are these ways of thinking about things that uh, underlie all the things that are on the surface, and th- so these these ways of thinking about things are, are beneath that surface, and they're also like numerous. Um, I mean, there's lots of different stereotypes. There's a finite number of stereotypes, but there are a lot of them that that um, drive our culture in ways that we often don't even realize. They they fashion our thinking. Um, because they're so deep, because they're below the level of consciousness. Now, I don't want to say that all stereotypes are below the level of consciousness, nor do I want to say that uh, the cultural mind just is a stereotypical mind. I don't I, like. I, I'm not willing to go out, go out on that limb either. Mm-hmm. To use the same metaphor differently. I, I love all these. I'm I'm starting to see the getting to the root of the, you know. I'm just starting to see all this language stuff. It has this nice tree, this yeah. tree involved. So the anyway. way I think about the roots is um, is to keep in mind that the archetypes and the different levels at which there are um, these these systems of concept complexes that feed into this unified um, this unified whole of the mind that any individual has um, is as a like um, like a basic level or vibration. Um, each archetype, in my view, has a vibration to it, or like a maybe even the word vibe, even though it comes from vibration, is is easier to think about because because then you can set, put yourself in the in the mindset of like you enter a room and the room has a vibe, or you you interact with a friend and that friend has a certain vibe, and the vibe is different from from the vibe you get from some other friend. Well, okay. the archetypes are like that. Okay. Each one has its own distinct vibe, and I think at the higher levels of say the more you know the two hundred the systems of 200 or whatever, there's also going to be a distinct vibe for each individual um, archetype within that system. And those vibes, um, those, those different ways of being or ways of thinking, having concerns, ways of, um, of um, enacting mental strengths. um, They, they feed the mind in different ways because they they are like a different aspect of self that you can draw on in ways that you probably don't even realize they just sort of because it comes from below um so like thinking of the the nourishment from below might also be a helpful aspect of the analogy so you know this route maybe connects to um i don't know some um deposit of um what's the red stuff Nitrogen and this route maybe connects to um, to the water supply more more fully, and this mm. route maybe has mm. access to phosphorus or whatever, okay. right? Okay. And so, like each of the different routes will contribute something a little bit different that nourishes the mind as a whole. Okay, a good. I'd say that's a worthy addition to the to the metaphor. And and what I'd say to bring in Ra's uh, abstruse and arcane language to describe what you described very very adequately. So that we can make a parallel, right, between what a social memory complex would say and what a human would say. 
is Ra describes the archetypal, the archetypal mind when penetrated lucidly is a blueprint of the builded structure of all energy expenditures and all seeking without distortion. So if you could see a, a, a corollary between how you described, you know, these different ways of thinking, right? These different ways of apprehending and the idea of an energy expenditure and the abstract way that one might quote unquote seek <laughs> you yeah. have an idea of what of the level at which we're speaking, right? Yeah, the, the most basic level. Yeah. I am I am absolutely floored right now. I feel like you've just put so many puzzle pieces. I've got like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle in my mind of what this was, and you've already put together like the entire frame for me. So <laughs> thank you. And I love that you've used the synonyms of tropes or stereotypes. Because again, you know, you, I hear the word archetype and I'm like, okay, whatever, <laughs> you know. So I appreciate the synonyms that I can latch on to a little bit. And this visualization is fantastic. Using the tree, I'm going to stew on that. But if I'm, so if I'm thinking of the roots in particular, Ra in the wrong contact, in the raw contact has stated that the tarot provide that the roots, the roots, essentially we could carve off this root over here is this card. This root over here on the right is this card. And in the raw contact, they start explaining what these cards are. And each card is its own archetype. That is that correct? It's very close to correct. So okay. remember that the cards themselves are just pictures. Uh, of they're course. Not, they're not the archetypes, right? Of so course. Oh, of, of course. <laughs> so they're, they're <laughs> Thank re you. They're representations of the archetypes. Yes. God makes this error all the time in the material, though. So it's a very easy error to make. It's a Yes. It's a visual aid to help you conceptualize the archetype or the idea. And what's, if I can just throw this out there, it's not like there's an instruction. There's not, there's not an instruction pack on the back of each card that says this archetype, et cetera, et cetera. It's a picture. And I think in the raw contact, uh, Don is asking for help and Ra says, dude, figure it out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, take it into meditate, whatever. I, I don't know the exact quotes, but Ra's in my own mind. That's how I translated it. Ra's telling Don, dude, figure it out, you know, but it's a picture. And I would imagine that there are levels to the archetype that one can come into understanding of as you meditate and you think about it more and more. And you take a look at the the picture, but just I, I, thank you for reminding me. It is a picture, but that picture represents an idea. In, right. Um, I think, and it's something important to point out. And this is not me correcting you. I think you're you're sort of moving in this direction, which is that Don came from like he asked questions from his own perspective, and Ra answered those questions um, with Don's perspective in mind. So, so the idea that um, you will find a complete 360-degree uh, view of these archetypes within the raw contact, I think, is just false. Um, Great point. I think were there to be another raw contact and a different questioner asking about the archetypes, you might get very different answers. I don't think you'd get conflicting answers, but, but just consider this. Um, I've described the archetypes as personas. Now, anybody who's read raw and has read the analyses of the different uh, cards, 
you'll be hard-pressed to discover a persona in there. Mostly what you find is something like a psychological mechanism. Okay. Um, and But what I think is um, that's actually just a, a microcosmic level of a persona. That would be the personas within your own mind, right? The different parts of yourself that interact with one another. And you can think of them as like the different... Uh, individuals that you have within you that sort of have these relationships to one another. But on a more macrocosmic level, we also act out these personas in relationship to one another. And Don and Ra didn't really get into that at all, but it was there. It was available. It's just that the level at which Don kept pursuing things was the level of the psychological mechanism. So that was the level uh, at which Ra responded. You know, Joseph, it's, you wish a, uh, someone studying philosophy rather than someone who knew physics was was questioning raw in this area because it feels like well you know i i thought about this i thought about this going into this uh into this podcast this recording that old that old saying that a wise man can learn more from a foolish question than a fool can learn can learn from a wise answer just knowing what side of the table I'm sitting on <laughs> in this session. And, but, but I think about, but I think about that. You have this, what a rich area of ideas that Ra is starting to explain just a little bit. The, the idea of the Tarot and the archetypal mind and the archetypes in general. And you've got this guy who's was a UFO researcher now trying to figure out like this, piece of human psychology and human nature and spiritual development, you know, and I know he wasn't coming in cold with the idea of spiritual development. Um, he wasn't coming in cold with answering those questions, but for a guy like me, I cannot imagine being in, in Don's shoes being like, Oh, well, I guess we're, we're going to talk about the tarot here, you know, and not, not knowing where to come from, not knowing what questions to ask and knowing that the quality of your responses are going to be a great mirror as to the quality of your questions, I would be terribly self-conscious and a little feeling inadequate in, uh, you know, running down, running down that road with Ra. Right. Well, so I don't, I do not want to discredit the quality of Don's questioning. Um, and I don't think it's a drawback that he wasn't an academic philosopher. Um, it just means that what we have from Ra is a, a way of thinking that's, um, suitable to a physicist. And actually, mm -hmm. that I, I find, having studied some physics myself, I find that to be um, a very helpful view because uh, it, it tends toward a kind of precision that I really appreciate. Now, I should also say that in my experience reading through the raw material and stumbling across, uh, across the, the archetype discussion for the first time, I was as baffled as anyone. And had I been in Don's shoes, I would have been as baffled as Don, and I'm not sure I would have done any better. Pause there, Mr. D'Artes. The first time you came across the material in question, you said you two were baffled. How long ago or where were you in your, your intellectual studies, your, you know, your, your philosophical studies when you came across the raw material? I apologize. I think our, our very small audience has gotten to know Jeremy and I in our, in our history. But when did you come across this, this material? Okay, so... Um... I discovered Ra um, about halfway through uh, a master's program in philosophy. Um, so, and that seems like it's not that long ago, but I took about seven, maybe, how long did I take off? So I ended the master's program in 2009, and I started my PhD program in 2017. 
So it's it an eight-year gap between okay. the two. So I discovered RAW around 2008. And actually, probably RAW was one of the reasons I didn't apply to PhD programs, um, because the, the questions that were on my mind when I was pursuing philosophy were so difficult to find answers to or satisfying answers to. And here Ra shows up uh, giving me satisfying answers. Huh. So, so I had this, this, I was in this state of mind where, where I thought, well, I don't need academic philosophy. It's another story why I'm back. Um, because, I, you know, of course, I think that was a bit of a youthful um, uh, oversimplification. Sure. So in any case, I, I discovered Ra in, in the midst of a master's program and the main reason that I took that time off was to integrate what I'd found. Um, and when I, when I read through um, the archetypes bit for the first time, I thought to myself, I'm going to have to come back to this. Like, I can't, I can't try to make sense of this right now because there's, there's all this other stuff that I just read that I still need to make sense of. Mm. Um, so at some point, maybe closer to 2010, so I guess two years later, I decided it was time. Um, and so I bought myself a deck of cards and I had, at the time there was only the blue book. So I put book four under my pillow and literally slept with it under my pillow for months. <laughs> the old the of, Edgar Casey method, huh? <laughs> in, yeah. In the hopes of osmoting some, some understanding. Oh my gosh. Okay. God. Okay. I'm sorry. I took us off track there. I apologize. Um, there's no track. There, <laughs> so, oh, I'm just excited. I'm going to pull up. I think. Your friend Jade sent a link, which I will post in the show notes, that shows the tarot according to the raw, uh, according to the raw contact, because in the, I think in the actual sessions, Don asks which deck is more accurate. I shouldn't even go down that road because it's been it's been a while since I've read that part, those sections of the raw of the raw contact, but I will post these. Um, post this link in the show notes so you know our listeners can actually see what we're what we're referencing but in general can you um and i'm not sure if, if this is cool to do off the cuff but can can you give just a broad what the tarot is as far as we've got the what the mind the body the spirit there's like one card that kind of mm. is it that sure apex you know can you help give us a structure sure. here so in the first place, uh, the tarot we're talking about is not the whole tarot. It's only the major arcana, which is 22 cards. Okay. The other cards are 50-something. I forget exactly how many, 56. The other cards, um, they are the, the, uh, the court cards and the numbered cards. Um, and what's, what's different about those is they don't have any associated pictures. So it's the pictures we're, we're concerned with here, and those pictures are on the major arcana. Okay. So when we're talking about the tarot, it's just the 22. All right. Um, Raw breaks down. So I should say that there's been a lot of a lot of tarot commentators, a lot of them over the years, mm -hmm. uh, and they all have something to say about these 22 archetypes, these these the major arcana. Um, but what none of them seem to do is to lay out a framework with the kind of um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, granularity mm -hmm. that Ra does. There's there's a there's a lot more to hold on to in terms of a framework 
that you get from Ra than, than you will get from your, any, any given commentator. So one of the standard approaches for a commentator is to treat the archetypes as uh, uh, stations along a kind of linear way. Okay. And that's kind of a, 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 a even tarot commentators will, will often think of that as a bit of a crass approach. Um, another more more um, um, sophisticated way is to is to divide the archetypes into a group a group of ten uh, two groups of ten with with one in the middle um, or with one set aside. Usually, it's the fool, of course, that's not in one of the groups of ten, uh, or into three groups of seven. Okay. Um, and again, the fool would not be included in the three groups of seven. And of course, these comment these tarot, tarot commentators have have latched onto something that that parallels what Ra says in dividing them into three groups of seven. Um, and and they will often even uh, get an inkling as to like what the domains of concern for the three groups of seven are. But but I've never seen the the clarity of representation in this framework from tarot commentators that I have in Ra. Okay, so what is the, what is this framework? Um, so there are three different cycles, uh, the groups of seven. One of them Joseph, is this, I apologize. I, I feel like I gotta analogize this or something. He interrupts a lot. This sure, I do. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you're interrupting on behalf of a listener, so it's yeah. totally appropriate. But the way I'm I'm just imagining, I I tend to fall down rabbit holes of information when I get fired up about a particular subject. But the way I'm analogizing this in my head is that I could watch YouTube video after YouTube video, blog post after blog post of various people talking about the tarot that we're discussing. And each of them are coming at it with a different tack. And yet one day I can come across this entity named Ra, and it's just a different level of how it resonates with me. Like, oh, wow, this makes sense. Because is Well, okay, so more likely... What will happen is you will you will engage in that process. You will see different commentators offering a different tack, and you'll find Ra. And what you'll say is not, "Oh wow, this resonates or this makes sense to me." You'll say, "Oh wow, I've never seen anything like this before. I can barely make sense of it. What's going on?" Oh, that's the more likely scenario. Okay, well, that's where I was at to begin with. That's just without all of the previous research. So, <laughs> right. So my point is that nor normal uh, tarot readers and commentators would be in the same boat just because what Ra has to say is so different. It, is novel the right word? Yes. Is what Ra said okay? In so fact, novel is exactly the right word because when when Don and and the rest of the the Ra group ended up talking about archetypes and they, they got a better handle on what was being discussed here. Um, Don said that this is for the first time, this is genuinely novel um, because much of what Raz had been saying, they had already gotten from previous um, confederation contacts, but not the tarot, not the archetypes that had not come through in previous contacts. Yeah. Okay. All right. So back, thank you for that quick pause, but going back to the way, raw breaks down the tarot if you if you could continue sure so the groupings of seven groupings. Uh, Ra, Ra confirms that that is the the appropriate way to to divide the archetypes okay. into three groups of seven and you set a, set aside the fool card or the choice as Ra calls it pause on that you set aside the fool card it does Ra not have a classification yes it does not belong to a cycle and but you said that there's another word for that card so Ra gives each of the so 
Ra gives their own rather idiosyncratic names okay. to these uh, tarot cards. I mean, the, the the traditional names would be, you know, the magician and the high priestess and the hierophant and so on. Okay. Okay. But Ra gives names that um, that indicate the the archetype's position within the framework, the the three by seven okay. framework. So there's sevenfold classification yeah. and threefold cycle. And I see where you're headed with this. And I see so I just to put a period at the end of the sentence. Just the big picture. There's one card that is left out of this uh, set of three groups of seven. One card right. set aside and. It, colloquially, it's it's the fool card, right? But Ra calls it okay. the choice. Ra, call, thank you. That's it. Ra calls it the choice. Okay, so we okay. Thank you. So we got three groups of seven. There's one off on in the in the dugout. The fools in the dugout. Ra calls it the choice. Okay, right. Thank you. Um, and, and if you if, you know if you think about Ra's um, names for these archetypes uh, that, that track their position within the framework, it kind of makes sense that, that Don and Ra would engage in the discussion in terms of psychological mechanisms, even the choice, right? It doesn't sound like a personality. It sounds more like something that you do as a person. Yes. Um, so I think that, that Ra, in some sense, maybe wants us to think about the archetypes first as personality mechanisms or sorry, as psychological mechanisms. And then after that, perhaps extend them to the, the broader social picture of individuals interacting with one another. Okay. Okay, so the sevenfold classification um, is probably the most confusing part of Ra's framework. It's also the most helpful part, I think. Okay. Um, so, and they, they have some crazy names, like, you know, the, the matrix and the potentiator. Uh, matrix might be a familiar word to you, but it's usually a very technical word. And if you're not familiar with some technical discipline that uses the word matrix, you might not have a clear sense of what it is besides the movie. That is very true. And I think this adds to my, has added to my confusion about this whole topic is the matrix, the potentiator, the, all of the other words that Ra uses. Right. So my, actually, that, that, was, that was my first um, area of study, to try to understand what on earth these terms are supposed to mean, uh, because I'm pretty sure Ra's usage of them is very nuanced. And that even applies to a very common word like experience, um, because yes. I think Ra's use of that word is also nuanced. It doesn't mean what you normally mean by the word experience. Yes. Okay. Yes. So... Uh, Listeners... Joe's warming up here. Joe was just stretched out. I think we're getting ready for some some truth bombs. This is this is the 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 tricky part. Okay, so within any given, so there's seven classifications, and uh, the the threefold classifications. Those are called cycles. So three cycles, seven classifications. I'm going to set aside the different cycles for now and focus on the classifications. Because the way that the classifications basically work together is going to be the same from cycle to cycle. Okay. Which is, of course, one of the benefits of thinking in terms of these fra this framework. The, the significator, um, which is one of the most confusing of the words because no, most people haven't even heard it before unless they actually do tarot readings. The significator is the archetype classification that literally refers to the self. Like that is 
the thing. So there's, again, there's the three cycles, the mind, body, and spirit, right? So the significator of mind is just what we normally think of as the mind. The significator of body is what we normally think of as just the body. Um, okay. So that's, that's how I demystify that particular, particular classification. So the significator is, it just is what it is. If it's, if you're in the mind cycle, it's the significator is just the mind. Like mm -hmm. as an object, the mind? Yeah, more or less, or, or like reifying the mind, as a, thinking of it as a thing. Okay. Ra, Ra uses the term significant self sometimes to point at the significator, so it correlates mm. exactly with what you're saying. Ra okay. also has said that the significator is, uh, expresses the true nature of the mind or the true nature of the body. Oh boy, but that's a can of worms. Does that mean that there's truth that's hidden beneath what we perceive? You know, if you're talking, if you're talking about the true nature of the mind, it's like, oh boy, do you really want to go? Do you really want to go yeah. down that one? Actually, I have not even contemplated what the false nature of the mind might be. Um, so I'm going to set that aside. It never even occurred. Because I got a friend, Joseph. With the I got a guy you can talk to if you want to talk about misperceptions of the mind. You know, so I kid, I kid, but um, it's just a deep. You know, the mind is a deep well in and of itself. And I wonder if there's similar layers to body, to spirit, you know, so we, we don't well, have sure. to open that can. But. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cans of worms here. <laughs> there are a lot of cans. There's a lot of worms. We're not going to be here. able to open them all, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try to stick to an overview. Perfect. Uh, the next thing to say, probably the, the most important thing to say about the significator classification, just besides what I've just said, is that um, it is... Uh, it, it manifests the veiling within itself. In other words, like part of the significator uh, archetypes themselves is the a representation of um, the opposition between self and self, or or uh, a sort of separation or uh, hidden self. So there's the the revealed and the hidden self. And in any case, in in each of the significator images, you'll see a kind of um, twofold or there's there's always just going to be something um i don't know like a dynamic relation from between self and self like in opposition in opposition or even in tandem so yeah. like in the significator of spirit you've got a representation of of tandem whereas in the other two the mind and body you have more of an opposition so in, in the mind the opposition would be between the the fella in the middle and everything else around him so in the body, the opposition would be between, again, the person in, in the middle and the environment within that per person exists. Hmm. Okay. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at these cards here and I see the significator of the spirit are two people holding hands. Looks like a man right. and a woman holding hands. Then you get to the significator of the body and it's a person hanging upside down by one foot over a... I don't know what it's over, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look good from my perspective, not at a first glance. And, and if I could just jump in for the listener, uh, go to thirddensity.com and you will see a website that allows you to see all of the stations, all of the cycles. It's really helpful. It might be cool to pull up while you're listening to this. Yeah, and great. I, didn't, I don't even need to put it in the show notes because thirddensity.com is what it is. Yep. Forward slash to row. Okay, so the significator is the self in whatever yeah, cycle so we're in. Okay. The thing to keep in mind about all these archetypes is that they they don't represent static parts of the self. 
they represent the the self or, or just the, the mind body spirit complex as an entity that is constantly progressing through um, its density of experience the third density so what they're representing is the um, the process of what Don often called um, spiritual evolution. Um, now, now, I don't want to use that. We shouldn't think of that term as applying only to the spirit cycle. The way Don uses that term, it applies to all three. Um, but in any case, the idea is that um, what we're looking at here is, is a kind of natural progression of maturation if you are um, like the natural progression of maturation from the beginning of the density to all the way to the end. So I don't mean like the natural maturation of a human life. I mean the natural maturation of the entire um, cycle of third density. I see. Early in the conversation, when you start discussing the idea of an archetype as, say, a, a persona or a stereotype or a trope, how could we talk about the significator of the mind? the significator of the body and the significator of the spirit, is there a, a persona? Or I think you've also said it's kind of like a set of actions or, or mechanisms within each, you know, each of these ideas. But how, how can we translate the idea, that idea that maybe there's a person persona to each of these? Right. Yeah. And this is, this is the part that's especially difficult for a reader of Ra, um, because Don and Ra don't get into that bit. But okay. I do think the bit is available. Okay. So before I say anything, I should I should point out that what we're working with here is my own personal uh, interpretation, my own effort to translate psychological mechanisms into uh, fully-fledged person, personas. Mm -hmm. um, so, so to give you an idea of how I would go about it, or how I do go about it, um, this is what I do. I ask myself, okay, what is this part of the psyche of my psyche do what what is the, what is the true nature of the mind and in the case of say the significator of the mind um i think of it as um as building a or or maybe even like calling into manifestation a um, mental world around itself like constructing a world of meaning so one of the primary things maybe even the primary thing the mind does is to uh, integrate the the information and to translate it into meaningful terms. Because, like, I mean, where I am right now, it's not just some physical matter that I'm on top of and beneath. Um, I'm in a room. I'm sitting on a chair that has a function. I'm in front of a table. I'm, I've got the microphone in front of me and so on. And, and all this stuff exists for a reason. Like, there's a reason all this stuff is in this house. And there's a reason that we're engaging in this conversation right now. And so, like... I've got all these trajectories of meaning that that um, that form or that come together to establish the the structure of my mental world, mm -hmm. not my physical world, my mental world. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the at the image, you'll see that the the guy in the middle, he is inside. He's completely surrounded by an artificial structure. It's not a natural structure. Dear listeners, Joseph is doing this from memory. Just oh, yeah. I've, I've memorized I'm, all these guys. Yeah, I just wanted to just, I'm like, congrats, because I'm looking at this and it's, it's just so Speaking fresh. Of which, if you, if you engage in this study, I recommend you memorize the image, images. So okay. just, there's okay. that. But, but anyway, so, so this guy, he's inside a, a, an artificial structure. It's, yes. it's like, he's on this uh, stone platform with the pillars and, and a roof over his head and so on. And he's even got these, these servants on the left and right that are offering things to him. 
But my, my point here is that the significance in my mind of the stone structure is that it's constructed by a human being. It, ha- it's, it doesn't grow in the natural world. A person built that. So that's why I think of it as our, our worlds of meaning that we construct for ourselves. Our own personal, it's not just a belief system. It's also the narrative, like the place within which you fit into that belief system. So like the guy, he's attached to it, right? He can't escape it because it's his, it's his own like it follows him around wherever he goes, just like your own mental constructs, your, the reality within which you think you exist follows you around wherever you go. All right. So yeah. this, is, this is how I think about this particular archetype. So when I think about, well, okay, that's the psychological mechanism. Now, here's a question. What person, what kind of person out in the world does this for a living, so to speak? And so the answer that comes to me is, oh, well, it's like storytelling, basically. So the people that, that, That's that sort of come together to construct our realities on a social level are the people that we turn to to help us build our social realities. And if, if you look at the tarot tradition, you'll see the, the very same thing. Like you, a lot of times the Hierophant, which is the, the traditional name of this card, is represented as like a, a spiritual authority or like a priest or something who, who communicates to you what the... <laughs> What the uh, narrative, the gra- the grander narrative reality in which you exist is. I mean, they give you your myth. Yeah, the, there are so many gems you've just laid down at my feet, sir. Uh, first of all, the whole this old saying, "A picture's worth a thousand words." Um, yeah, you we're looking at a picture here. There's so much to this picture that you can. It's a story that you can create. You can come to a reasonable, you know, you can come to a reasonable conclusion about what you're seeing and you can tie in specific ideas given, you know, given that conclusion. Um, I'm just, I'm floored. I'm still floored. So, um, my gosh. And then I already forgot what I was going to say about the, one of the other things because, um, oh, regarding stories. I think that is absolutely brilliant. I think my world was changed for, I, I used to only read nonfiction. Then I read The Count of Monte Cristo. And I'm like, wow, okay, fiction I think is can actually be pretty good. Because the way I heard it, I actually learned, I learned things in The Count of Monte Cristo that I didn't think I could learn in a fiction book. And then I read Crime and Punishment. It was my second fiction book. And I read, and I learned a little bit, I think I learned a little bit about human nature. Or I read, that just resonated with me. And I think your analogy is incredibly apt because storytellers do, they, they provide templates and experiences that you, you yourself can experience and you can learn how some people deal with certain scenarios and how that scenario might work itself out without you yourself having to go through, go, go through that, you know? So I don't know. I think there's power, there's real power in storytelling. And keep in mind that you're also your own storyteller. Uh, which is kind of the point of the psychological mechanism. Like at, at every moment, we're we're just sort of put. We're the heroes of our own story, and you, you can't really escape that. How do I? That's that's uh, that's gold. That's you. So, every, you are your own storyteller. Thank you. I, I'm sorry. I need to stop interrupting. I'm just so excited when I when these things click, and you're just making a lot of them click. No, I'm just kind of. It's kind of nice to see you interrupt somebody else. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm loving this man. <laughs> I should probably say something about the other classifications, since yes. that's what I promised to do. Yes, let's do it. Um, so I've, I've identified the significator as an important one, and it's in, 
it exists almost in the middle of the cycle. And, and I think that's important because the, the archetypes that come before the significator have a particular way of relating to each other, and the archetypes that come after have a different way of relating, and including the significator, have a different way of relating to it. Um, so the ones that come before, these would be um, mechanisms internal, is, is how I think of them, to the significator. And I don't want to say there are archetypes within archetypes. What I want to say is that the archetypes themselves represent what we are. Like they are, they're the blueprint on which this thing that I am is constructed. Okay. So I am not made of archetypes. The archetypes are just the blueprint of me, if that makes sense. The archetypes are a blueprint of me. Okay. 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 So when I think about my significant self, the mind, well, there's, again, the mind is split in two. It's, it's got these two... Um, intimately connected actors that yet seem to have um, conflict. They, they, they don't always agree. We can call it the conscious and the unconscious mind. I mean, where, you know, I'm frequently at war with myself and perhaps the same is true of you. Yes, for the record. So, there's, <laughs> so those first four classifications are meant to, and that's just the mind. This, the, the same is reflected in the body and the spirit. And that's, there's more to say about that that we won't get into, but okay. um, there, there are parallels, parallels there. So then the first four classifications uh, represent the internal dynamics of, say, the mind or the body or the spirit, the, the self that's pitted against the self and how they, they interact with one another and the way that the energy flows uh, in sort of a cyclic direction to produce growth and maturity. Um, so in the case of the matrix and the potentiator, the matrix receives um, it, it takes on, um, it, it's the thing that's going to become, um, the new self or the, the, the advanced or the, the growing self. It, it, whenever, whenever you grow or like you, you learn something new or you have had some kind of like internal change, the matrix has recorded, Russ has, it's recorded in the matrix. Hmm. So I think of it as sort of like, um, I don't know why I have this analogy, but I think of it as, uh, like piling dirt up in a hole and you take a step and you dig and, and pile dirt on the floor and you take another step up. And so like the, where you are changes and it changes in such a way that you can take a step up and there's sort of a new, uh, realm of experience available to you. Okay. Interesting. And all this stuff that happens, all the dirt that you're piling up in the matrix, it's a weird analogy. I don't like it. I'll <laughs> come it up works. with a different one one day, whatever, <laughs> but all the dirt comes from the potentiator. Right. It's the it's the source of all the stuff that, that the matrix can record. OK, which is which is the purpose of the name. It, it's the it's the potential. Yeah. OK. Even though potentiator like it only has a weird medical uses or or chemical. I don't know. It's I don't love the word. There's probably a chemistry. I don't know. There's probably a science use for that word that, <laughs> that we're trying to work using metaphysics. And, and I've tried to make sense, like to connect it to Ra's usage and I can't see a clear connection. Oh, do you but... think, do you think it, there's some hidden connection there that you haven't quite found yet? Is that what no, is bothering I, you? What I suspect is that Ra used the word potentiator as a, um, like in connection with his previous, with, with Ra's previous use of the word potentiation. Okay. Oh, oh. Um, so I don't think Ra is trying to use potentiator in the, the exact same way as, as chemist would. Got it. I would also point out that in querying about the archetypal mind, uh, Don actually referred to electrical phenomena a lot. And I do believe that potentiator has an electrical meaning. Well, potential difference does. I'm not... 
Maybe you're right. I'm not sure. I don't know. There's such a thing as a potentiometer. Okay. So I'm just going to go out on the limb. Sure. I'll accept it. As a computer scientist. <laughs> and if that's true, if that's true, Don would have been able to make sense of it. And exactly. that would make sense of why Rao would use it. Okay. Noted. Okay. Well, what about the catalyst and the experience? Those are the I think next of these two. two okay. I think of these two as uh, as mediating between matrix and potentiator, and and the reason that we need mediators between matrix and potentiator is because of the veiling, because there's there's such a stark division between them. So so the matrix needs needs a, another mechanism that would go about uh, integrating what is to be recorded into the matrix, and the potentiator needs a mechanism that would go about uh, inserting what the the potentiator has to offer. Uh, in the direction of the matrix. So there's there's contact between catalyst and experience um, that mediates between the contact that the matrix and the potentiator are reaching for. So I think, in many ways, I think of um, catalyst and experience as between, like um, geometrically between the why, matrix and the potentiator. Why do you think that... So you've gone in this order of significator, then moving back to matrix potentiator... And now we're on to uh, catalyst and experience. But why do you think they're in the order that they're in? What is it about the matrix that that is card number one? And then the potentiator is card number two. Is there something there that we can latch on to? Or did they just get it wrong? You, th you think they got it wrong? I don't. I don't think they got it wrong. <laughs> I, I know. I I'm. I'm kidding. I don't think they did either. But I just wonder what that. What the purpose is. So I. I don't think it is that important. Oh. Um, okay. Because. Because I don't. I don't think the archetypes are meant to be thought of linearly. So. So the the order only matters if you think about them in in sort of a rigid linear way. I see. Okay. Um. The reason I've introduced the significator first is just purely pedagogical. It strikes me as as maybe the most helpful one to talk about first. And it does but work. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it struck Ra that way. So. Okay. Each each teacher chooses differently. So we have just a quick quick recap, and I know you gentlemen need to go soon, and I want to let you guys do a break before your next session, but. We started with the significator, which is the self. And we're talking about, uh, it's not cycles. It, the, what is the... Classification. It is a classification. Thank you. Three cycles, seven classifications, and the fool is still in the dugout. The choice is still off the deck here. So we can we can take care of the fool right now. Oh, the let's do it. The fool is the unifying archetype. Oh. So, and, and, and this seems, it, it strikes me as appropriate, uh, you know, considering the law of one. Um, <laughs> that, that anytime you have many, right, there should be some feature that unifies them all together. Yeah. So it strikes me as perfectly appropriate that there should be a unifying archetype that doesn't fit into a classification because it encompasses them all. Oh, that's great. He's in the dugout because he's the coach. He's not just another player. He's, uh... <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> Joseph, come down to my level here. <laughs> well, well, also that analogy will kind of break down. Maybe it doesn't break down because the fool, um, the fool is special because that's the archetype that um, that characterizes the ability to move from archetype to archetype, to become one, to become another, depending on situation. That's okay. what the fool does. Okay. And and we've talked about the classification, the significator, which is essentially the self. We talked about the matrix, which is that which receives whatever comes out of the potentiator. I like I do like your analogy. Where the matrix is like all that dirt that you're piling up and you're 
you know, you're stepping up on the dirt. But the potentiator is what creates the dirt, <laughs> what gives you the That's dirt to pile like up. That's why I don't like the analogy. <laughs> because it so, doesn't work, you know? Well, so, okay, so a matrix is a thing that receives, right? And the potentiator is whatever gives the stuff that's going to be received. Um, so yeah. there's a million analogies you could you could use, but for some reason this is just what popped into my head, and I don't love it. Okay. Well, you know what? We've we've got time for a more eloquent analogy. <laughs> you know, you've got a lifetime. So, <laughs> listeners, the interesting thing about hearing my friend Joseph, who I am just loving listening to, and especially interacting with Ryan, another good friend, is that, and I don't know if I should say this. Uh oh, better say it. Uh, he just did a quo channeling on the matrix potentiator and significator as concepts. So he is all primed up for this. Yeah, I'm kind of drawing on it. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's really, really cool to see. Oh, I, well, I wish I had that. I wish I had the context of where you were six hours ago, as far as thinking about this versus where you are, where you are now, but I just met you. So well, I can tell you one thing. He was a lot softer spoken then. <laughs> yeah, oh. when I channel it doesn't come out very loud <laughs> noted um, oh gosh so, so we have two more classifications to talk about I'm going to okay. try to hit them real quick please please um, so there's the transformation and this one called awkwardly called the way or the great way that is awkward so the transformation <laughs> the transform yeah every, every other art classification gets one word but the great way gets two whatever um, so the transformation um, I think of as um, the, so I, I actually interpret that one fairly literally. So I think of it as the mechanism by which the significator becomes something different from what it is. So you actually, like your mind becomes a different mind. And, and the way I fit this into sort of everyday life is those instances when we say that um, I have, you know, I'm a different person now than I was. Yes. Um, so that's what I think of as, as, uh, transformation, and that's why I think of it as, you know, um, becoming a prize of a different significator than what you had before. I don't mean like a different archetype. I mean the thing that is your mind is a different mind. Something changed in it. Uh, but if I could jump in, my teacher uh, impressed upon me the import of recognizing that it is not the product of the transformation. It is the very concept of in the process of being transformed. It is that kinetic experience of transformation. Right. Right. So that's what I'm saying what the transformation does, but the archetype itself is, is, a, is an odd one um, because it's a transitory archetype. In other words, you can't stay in this archetype the way you could the significator archetype because you're always a significator. You always yes. have a mind. Yes. But you can't always be in transformation. And this is why it's useful to sometimes think of Ra's more uh, abstract way of describing archetypes as expenditures of energy, right? They're like these basic issues of psychic energy that give us meaning in this uh, narrative that we're, that we're creating, right? Mm -hmm. You have the exposition, you have the conclusion, right? You have these parts of the story, but they're dynamic things, right? They don't have like a static thing. And yet what is an archetype? What is an image? But a static thing. So it's a kind of a paradox, isn't it? There's that special spiritual word, paradox. Yeah, I wonder if uh, if if had Ra had access, if were Ra to have access to um, dynamic media, say video gifts, what would Games. right? What would, what would their tarot cards look like? <laughs> <laughs> 
Bye. Okay, friends, we should we should just make a project of doing a meme. Why not try a meme tarot deck? <laughs> Okay, so, so okay. that's what the transformation is. It's not, and, and even as a persona, I still think of it as a, a transitional persona, something that you can't, you can't always be. Um, and I actually think of the great way as exactly the opposite, insofar as the, the transformation is um, liminal or of a moment. The, uh, I think of the great way archetypes as um, enduring and um, very like universal. Maybe universal is the wrong word, but but like, but it's close know, to I think the meaning. Yeah, maybe not literally universal, but it, I but I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, and I feel like I'm on the cusp of of actually understanding this at a deeper level. Please go, Jeremy. Let, let me run something by Joseph. Uh, the way that I've been thinking about it is as a kind of summarization of the drama of the cycle in one. Archetype. I think that's right, but I don't think it would be fair to think of it as mere summary. No, 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 no. It's a, I'm, tr- I'm grasping at straws. Here. So, so, okay. Think of it this way, right? Without the transformation archetype, all you have is um, the sort of flow from potentiator to matrix. There's this this gradual building up of of um, dirt self of dirt. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, you're taking on these characteristics as uh, there's a self revealing itself to you. And in, in past octaves, that's all they had. Now, this takes for granted that the significator doesn't change. In other words, this always exists within the same significator. So, so imagine that, that you could only ever experience life within a single town and within a single culture, right? So, that, so you, can, you can go deeper and deeper into that culture, but there are some limits to the possibility of what you can be because you'll never experience another culture. So transformation is like being able to move to a completely different um, type of experience. And, and in, in moving to a completely different type of experience, you have to become a different person. So that's how I think of transformation, which means if that's, if that's on the table now, that means that the whole domain or the whole environment of uh, spiritual growth has gotten bigger. It's expanded. So no longer can the significator itself just merely be the environment. Now you need a, a wider environment. So when I think yes. of, of the great way as, as like um, in, a, an enduring kind of persona, it's because you can't get outside of it. Like that's the biggest sort of picture you can have. Hmm. I feel like I'm so close to actually understanding what we just talked about. <laughs> well, then this is a good place to end it. It is. No, it is because I'm going to, I'm going to stew on it a little bit because I still, still feel like there's this roadblock I'm hitting with our original concept of the archetypes as again, I love your, your synonyms of personas and tropes, stereotypes. These feel like maybe like you said, they're mechanisms. They're not, you know, that's right. what they feel yeah, so, like. So what I've done is I've given you one example of how I trans- translate the mechanism into a persona. And, and what you do, in my opinion, is do your best to understand what the mechanism is, what it does. And then ask yourself, who out in the world does that? What kind of person does this as, as kind of a living or, or a way of life? You have done a great job in helping me just tie these ideas together. And again, you've with that thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, you 
thankfully you've helped me put together the border at minimum and at least put some of the some of the pieces together i have so much to simmer on and stew on but i feel like you just gave me a flashlight and i can revisit this this material and actually search around a little bit more with a little bit more understanding and the upshot is we're having joseph back no question. Yeah, Joseph, you're uh, just keep your Sundays open <laughs> at this time for the next. <laughs> I'll do what I can. Yeah, I. Uh, it's yeah. I know you guys got to go. I too have to go. This has been fantastic. I'm hoping we get to do this again soon. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much, Joseph. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And uh, I will say the parting words: uh, Stay in the love and light, friends.